Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about the feat system that is used in Eldritch Tales Lovecraftian White Box Roleplaying by Joseph D. Salvador. So, John, you've been playing this game. I can see the book says Raven God Games and that it's swords and wizardry compatible. So, is that... What's the white box thing that it's referencing? Okay, white box is effectively an early version of sort of basic D and D. Swords and Wizardry is a an old D and D sort of like retro clone. Swords and Wizardry leans a little bit more the core version towards sort of a D and D, whereas they did a white box version which leans more towards the basic sort of O D and D style. Okay, and, and you played a game of this. Yeah, pl- days ago. yeah, I played a game of this two days ago on Saturday, run by the author, and he was kind enough to run an adventure that I submitted to him a while ago for inclusion in his Aldrich Tales zine, which I know you've ran and adapted to like a science fiction setting. Was this the one with the evil pharaoh? Yeah, it was the yeah. the dark pharaoh, yeah. Yeah, my Star Trek group had great fun. Yeah, and just to give you a bit of background to this, the adventure in itself was one that I originally prepared for Games on Demand at UK Games Expo in 2019, or as I like to call it, the before times, when we could all go <laughs> outside. And... For anyone who doesn't know, Games on Demand is basically for people who like don't want to have to like book loads in advance. There's loads of gems there. They run like two-hour taster sessions. You rock up, you buy a ticket like quite cheaply, and you'll turn up and say, oh, I want to play a game. And the person who's in charge, normally Lloyd Jan, or whoever's helping you with the admin, which in a lot of cases is you, love, mm-hmm. will say, right, we've got these gems available to run a game. They've got, and then you'll be like assigned a GM and a table. The GM will say, right, I've got these five or six games. Here's some of the scenarios I've got. What do you fancy? And then they'll just run like a two-hour taster session. So for this uh, adventure, I basically originally cooked up the idea of like, oh, let's make it like a pulpy sort of Indiana Jones, explore the the pyramid, sort of mm-hmm. with a bit of a Cthulhu sort of flavour, which obviously ties in with Eldritch Tales because it it uses the basic framework of old D and D, but adds that sort of level of like Cthulhu mythos on top of it, so there's like insanity mechanics and stuff like that. Now, obviously, I rewrote that and sort of expanded on it when I sent a copy to Joe. And he sort of like worked up some great maps for it and stuff like that and is going to publish it. So we played that game, very much enjoyed it. And one of the things I enjoyed while we were playing it is what it calls the feat system in okay. this game. And now you may be familiar with the name feat from other versions of D&D, you know, mm-hmm. 3.5 onwards. However, although it uses the same terminology, it's not the same sort of thing in here. It's basically a slightly different way of doing attribute tests. Okay. So, you know, as... In Eldritch Tales, as in most D&D sort of like clones, you've got your strength, dex, con, wisdom, intelligence, and charisma. They're your attributes. Now, normally, they range from like 3 to 18 for like your standard sort of human character. And generally, if you want to make an attribute test in a D&D style game, you roll a d20. If you get equal to or under the attribute, you've succeeded. Happy days. If not, you've failed. Now, Eldritch Towers does this slightly differently by sort of bringing that back to like a D6 roll. Mm-hmm. Now, in 
old D&D, there's a few things that already rely on D6 rolls. The, the most obvious one I think of off the top of my head is if you're like in a hex crawl and you're exploring the wilderness, the person who's like planning your route, they'll make a roll of a D6 to see if they manage to like pick the right direction and not get lost. And it's normally like a one in six chance of you getting lost. But there's a few other sort of old D&D classes and particular old school essentials classes and various games based on old D&D which will have special abilities that come off a d6 so what they've done in eldritch tales is they have what's called the universal attribute modifier Mm -hmm. and what that basically means is if you have an attribute that goes from three to six anytime you make a you want to do a feat involving that attribute you roll a d6 and you need a six to succeed Mm -hmm. if you've got seven to 14 you roll a d6 you need a five or six to succeed if you have 15 to 18 in your stat, you need to roll a d6 and you have a 4 to 6 chance of succeeding. So you, you don't roll against your attribute directly, but how big an attribute you've got determines what your chance of success is on a d6. So looking at the sample character sheet I was playing the other day, I was playing a sort of scholarly, like a cult type. So for my intelligence, I had 15 for the character. So if I wanted to do a roll involving intelligence... I'd roll a d6, and if I get, I get a 4 to 6, I've succeeded. So, correct me if I'm wrong, this is really just a way of doing a challenge such as a, a feat of strength, can you lift the barrel over your head? Exactly, yeah. Feet feat of dexterity, can you run across the rope bridge? Feet exactly, yeah. charisma, can you seduce the barmaid? Yeah, exactly, yeah. very much so. And there's a little table in here, so the the GM, if it's particularly difficult or a hard roll, they can apply like minuses to that D6 roll. Also, they have a couple of additional mechanics in Eldritch Tales called uh, class skills and occupational specialities. Class mm-hmm. skills are just particular skills you might have. You don't have levels in them or anything like that. You just get them based on your class. So I was playing an antiquarian in the game we played a couple of days ago. So I had three knowledge class skills, history, literature, and mythology. I had the research skill, and I had the writing skill. Now, if you make a feat roll, mm-hmm. i.e. an attribute test, and you've got a class skill, you get a plus one to whatever your D6 roll is. So you don't have any levels of different skills. Around it. It's just if you've got the skill, you get a plus one. So in an intelligence-based role, where I normally need four to six on the roll, if it's to do with research or one of my areas of knowledge, I only need, really need three to six on the roll. You also have what are called occupational specialities. And for my character, I had interaction, occult, knowledge, religion, and physical sciences. And what these do is when you roll your D6 to do your feet, you get like an advantage sort of style mechanic where you roll 2D6 and you take the better result. So, and all of these can be quite broadly defined. And I really enjoyed it while we were playing because it made everything very simple because everything was like a D6 roll, which I quite enjoyed. And also the the skills and the occupational specialities, because it's obvious what they are, you know, like research, writing, mythology, it's pretty obvious whether it applies or not. We didn't have to spend ages poring over like different skill systems or looking at anything like that. I could just look down my skill list and go, oh yeah, I think this applies, plus one. And my occupational specialities, which tend to be like your job. So in my case, I was like a university professor of like the occult and stuff like that. So if it came under the occupational specialities, I was like, oh great, 2d6. Nice and simple. If you have 
more than one of those so a skill applies and the speciality applies obviously you just roll 2d6 pick the best one add plus one to the roll it's nice and simple unless the gm's modifying the difficulties you can always see what you're going to get if you've got a really high score you've got like an even or better chance of succeeding mm-hmm. if you've got a low score unless you've got some bonuses it's unlikely you're going to see succeed but still you've got a one in six chance even if you've got no other bonuses and you've got a really rubbish score so you know if you're a bit desperate you might like to try it and i was just so how does this compare to rolling a d20 and adding your skill stat which is what you'd normally be doing in D&D these days yeah well I think one of the things... I mean, D&D 5th Edition simplified the skill list an awful lot. Whereas in... As we've talked about previously, in 3rd Edition 3.5... Or even simpler for pretty much any D&D, you'd feat of strength, roll a d20, what's your strength, what's your strength bonus, add that onto it, what's the result? Dead simple, one roll to get through... I, w- I would say the through a lot of I would numbers. say the bonus over that sort of thing is in like three point five. Let's say you're doing your feet of strength or whatever. Mm. You'll roll a d twenty. You'll have to look up what your bonus is for your strength. You add that. You'll then have if the skill's relative. You'll have to look down, find out what your level of skill is, add that on. If there's any situational bonuses, you add them on. You add like three. There's like three or four numbers you add on. You calculate all that up, then you roll your dice. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this, normally the only number you have to worry about is what number you're rolling, and do you add a plus one to it? So it yeah. makes it makes it nice and simple. Now, mm-hmm. one thing in Eldritch Towers is because it's like 1920s sort of classic mythos era, you are playing sort of, I suppose, a bit more grounded sort of like human level characters. So the bonuses are literally like very small in here. Mm-hmm. because you don't have those sort of like superhuman levels of abilities you would tend to see in sort of like higher fantasy games but for me it just removed a lot of numbers out of the equation it made it very simple to do and also i, I know some people say oh it's not difficult to roll a d20 and roll under your attribute score mm-hmm. to see if you succeed and it's not really but as i've said when it comes to things like armor class although there's nothing wrong with using descending armor class I prefer ascending because I just find it more intuitive because Mm -hmm. the notion of like a higher number is better just seems more intuitive and it certainly seems easier for like new people to the game to grasp. So if I can say to people, okay, you've got a poor skill in this, so you've got to roll a six. Oh, okay, you've got a medium skill in this, you've got to roll a five or a six. Oh, you've got a great skill in this, you've got to roll a four, five or six. Because it's a smaller range of numbers, Mm -hmm. it's very easy to grasp. And I found this when I was running it at UK Games Expo. Because obviously you you have like a random assortment of people come in. And most people have got some basic familiarity with D&D. But for the people who really didn't know much about it... It was very easy in Eldritch Tales to just sort of say, right, all you need to worry about is here's a couple of D6, here's what you're going to have to roll. I could have it written on the character sheet and it was very easy for them to pick up. So by having a sort of less nuanced dice system, it makes it easier to effectively game the numbers, work out what you want to do based on that, understand like the tactics of the game that bit more easily and intuitively yeah basically and obviously that gives you more time for like actual role play 
Yeah, and that, again, that's one of the things I enjoyed in the game I played in it a couple of days ago, which, because <laughs> Joe was like, obviously, we're, we're trying to keep it fairly sort of snappy and fairly short. Mm-hmm. There was a few moments where like we'd been we'd been chatting and like role-playing, so we had pre-gen characters all with a bit of background. We're on this like dig in like, Egypt, and we're all like chatting amongst each other and sort of role-playing and getting to know our characters. And we had a few bits where Joe's like, oh, I should probably move this on now. It's been like 15 minutes. And we were like, oh, has it? Because <laughs> we'd all just been role-playing and like we, we'd, we'd not even like touched the dice or like rolled anything on yeah. Roll20. Uh, but when we did get to like the later stages where there was a little bit of combat, you know, we're climbing down ropes, we're in like hazardous situations and we needed to roll the dice. Again, it was very quick to do. Particularly, I mean, we were playing in Roll20 and the Roll20 is great if you have loads of character sheets are automated and set up. So you can just click on a button and boom, it rolls and calculates everything for you. For some games, and I'm not saying all of them, but for some games, if you don't have that set up, like it's a more niche game, it can involve like a lot of typing in like, oh, slash R, 1D20 plus minus, da 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 And it could take a while to type all that out. Whereas in this, because we were just rolling a D6... And you're only adding one or two numbers. It was very quickly just been like, right, roll one d6. I've got a plus one. Yeah, I've rolled a three. With a plus one, that gives me a four. That's what I needed to succeed. Happy days. And you can crack on with that. And one of the things I liked about this is like the combat in Eldritch Towers is pretty much your standard D and D fare. You know, roll a d20, add add your thing, beat the armor class, roll your damage. So it's very easy to graft this system onto like any other version of D and D. Now, I'm not a big fan of... Cause I, you, you know me, I like running like old-school essentials and stuff like that, the models, like the older, sort of simpler versions of D&D, like the basic D&D. But I can see that there is a place for having like skill systems and sort of occupation systems in RPGs because it can add like a bit of flavour to it. So it, it might be more interesting rather than just so like... Say you've got a couple of people playing fighters, instead of just going like, oh yeah, we've got Fighter 1 and Fighter 2... It might be a bit more interesting if, like, oh, we've got a fighter one. Oh, we used to be a baker. Oh, we've got fighter two. He's like an ironmonger's son, and like that. And you can say that obviously, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have any tangible effect on the game unless you just sort of like freestyle it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were using a system like this, you again, you don't have to do a lot of work with it. You're like, here's a sample list of occupations. That's not difficult to work out. You can go on the internet and type in like medieval occupations, and you'll get a massive list of them. And you can just go right there. You go players, give them that list. And all you've got to remember is they pick one of them. If they're rolling and they've got that occupation that's relevant, then they get two dice instead of one. Happy days. Likewise with a list of skills, you just put a small list of skills. If you've got one of these, you get a plus one on your roll. Happy days. It's nice and easy to administer, sorry, administrate, which I think would make it very easy to graft into other versions of D&D. And I mean, recently in my old school essentials um, campaign, there's an optional role in one of the advanced fantasy books, mm-hmm. which is like a, a secondary occupation role, where there's basically like a big table of um, occupations for like faux medieval times, but it doesn't really give you any like rules for them. It's just like, oh, it's just a bit of flavour. You know, the GM can take it into account. It might help you out in certain situations. But in the spirit of keeping old school essentials simple, there's not really any rules in it. And that's fine. I've been running with that. And that's not a problem. I mean, I've generally just gone for the fact if it's something that's not life-threatening and your skill is relevant, you can do it. So let's say, just to pick a ridiculous example, your like, character in my Old School Essentials campaigns are like, oh, we need to like bake some bread for this village. And I go, oh, yeah, you've got, um, you've got uh, 
baker as like your secondary occupation. You were a baker before you became an adventurer. I would say, yeah, you don't have to make a roll for it. You've baked that bread. And to be honest, I probably wouldn't ask for a roll for it if you hadn't got that skill. <laughs> but I might say, well, it takes you a lot less time and there's a lot less waste because you know what you're doing. Yeah. And that's worked absolutely fine. However, if I wanted like a skill system, an occupational system that actually had an impact in the rules, mm. I would love to use something like the Eldritch Tales system because it gives you a little bit more detail. You know, you, you get your two dice instead of one if you've got the occupation. You get a couple of bonuses to let your rolls if you've got skills. But it doesn't add an awful lot of complexity. It keeps everything on like a very small dice, so like D6, a dice we're all familiar with. It keeps the range of numbers quite small. Mm-hmm. and it also, But it also gives you that sort of bonus and system benefit for having some of those background elements. So... I instantly, like I say, we were using pre-gens in the game we played a couple of days ago. I instantly looked at my character sheet and I was like, right, class skills, knowledge, history, literature, and mythology, research and writing, occupational specialities, interaction, occult, knowledge, religion, physical science. So just by looking at that, you can see what sort of character background this guy has. And occupational stuff tends to be more common in things like Call of Cthulhu and modern settings. But I don't see any reason you couldn't take that and sort of port it into like old school D&D. I think it'd work quite well for that. And like I say, I don't know whether I'll do that in my old school essentials campaign because I'm trying to keep the, uh, the number of random house rules I'm importing to a minimum. But if I was going to go for a skill system in an old school D&D game, I'd probably go for something like this because it's simple, does what it says on the tin, and doesn't overly complicate your game. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So... There you go, that's my brief rundown of the feat system in Eldritch Tales by Joseph D. Salvador of Raven God Games. If you want to check it out, it's available from DriveThruRPG. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. If you want to get in touch with us, you can leave us a voicemail message using SpeakPipe. Again, there'll be a link in the description of this show. Or you can email us at rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and keep gaming. Bye. Welcome back to the Red Dice Hall. I can go in the outtakes.